This is David Tarkington, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Orange Park, Florida. Thank you for downloading this sermon. For any other information or questions you may have, please go to firstfam.org or give us a call at 904-264-2351. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Those who are guests with us today online or in the building, I'm David Tarkington. I have the privilege and honor of serving as the pastor here at First Baptist. As we sung these songs already today, especially that song of Moses, I'm flipping back into Deuteronomy 32, which is called the Song of Moses. And that highlighted verse for me, you don't have to look to this, it just hit me earlier that this declaration of who God is from Moses himself as he sang this before the people and before the Lord, he sang one verse Verse 31, for their rock is not as our rock, a declaration of who our God is. And boy, what, what an incredible, you can just go ahead and read through that if you want to in your spare time. But that command at the end to the people of God to take heart to what he has sung and to tell them over and over again to their children and to the grandchildren and those to come. And I declare that that's who we are as a people of God here at First Baptist, not keeping the faith to ourselves, but passing it on to the next generations. The challenge for every parent in the room that I've shared with you many times is to ensure that your children know your story of salvation of how you came to know the Lord. To every grandparent in the room, do your grandchildren know how you became a Christian when that happened? If you were baptized, when you followed in obedience to that? There are a lot of things we share to the next generation, stories and histories and family trees. But I dare say that one of the most important things that should be shared to each generation sometimes gets lost in the awkwardness of talking to family members about important things. So let me challenge you today, whether you're eating a hot dog watching a wooden race car, or you don't care about that, as Mike said, find an opportunity today to talk about your story of faith and may your song be sung before your children and those to come. As we are in the book of Hebrews today, we are in chapter 3, just a few verses, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It is challenging for us today, if not impossible fully, to understand how much the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Israelis of the first century, and even the devout Jews today, honor and revere the man named Moses. There have been many caricatures over the centuries created about him. There have even been some respectful ones, many respectful ones, depictions of him, Moses, in art and in movies and in storybooks. Often, yet from our Gentile perspective, as the majority of us are Gentiles in the room and those watching online, thousands of thousands of years removed from the story of Moses, we struggle 
and actually find it, I would say, impossible to fully grasp how the Jews of the first century thought and revered Moses. Moses was a great man. He could be called the great Moses. He was considered the greatest of all Hebrews. In fact, many considered him the greatest of all people to live. If the Jews of the first century were to be, a poll were to be taken, he would be at the top of the list. In Jewish life, King David was considered the greatest king they had ever had in their history. Even with his flaws, he was a great man, a man who God loved dearly, a man after God's own heart. But even David would fall a few steps below Moses on the hierarchy of, of honor. So last week we looked at one of the books of Moses, the book of Leviticus. We read through chapter 1. We read how God had called Moses and how he spoke directly to him. This man Moses, who was fully man and not divine, not God, was called by God for a very unique task. The history of Moses and his life was told and retold through oral traditions and written traditions to the Hebrew people for generations after generations. Moses was the chosen one of God, called to fulfill an epic task that God had called him for for his own people. Moses was rescued and preserved at birth in his own life. He was the baby placed in the in the basket, in the river, if you remember that story. If you don't know that story, look it up. It's in the Old Testament, and there have been numerous movies and depictions of that. He was rescued from an evil king who was having all the babies killed, all the baby boys anyway, and, and yet he was rescued by that king's daughter, that Pharaoh's daughter. And he was raised in a, a life of, of um, except, exception. And he was called by God. Moses was a deliverer of God's people through an amazing display of power as he left Egypt and then he is called back to God and he is the one that goes to the Pharaoh at that time and is calling for the Pharaoh to release the slaves, the Hebrew people, his people. God used him as a deliverer and showed amazing displays of God's power through him. The Nile River turned to blood. Plagues were infecting the land of Egypt. Slaves ended up being released. The firstborn were killed by the uh, the, the angel of death that went over the land at the time. But then through all of that, the slaves were released. Moses delivered them from Egypt across the Red Sea and on toward a land of promise. Moses was a prophet of God, the mouthpiece of truth. He was the speaker of God's words. In the Old Testament, often God would speak to his prophets through signs and wonders and indirect means. But to Moses, God spoke directly if you look in Numbers chapter 12 and verses 6 through 8, it says this, And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. It was a declaration of how unique Moses was, even among the, the, uh, the team of prophets that had come throughout the centuries. This was a moment Moses received the Ten Commandments. This is the law of Moses, the law of God given to Moses to give to the people that Moses read, studied, and sought to live by. Moses, not only was he chosen, not only was a deliverer, not only was he the prophet, but he was also the historian of the people. 
His writings under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit make up the first five books of our Old Testament and give us the groundwork and the history of God's redeeming work from the very beginning, from the book that begins with the words, in the beginning. Moses was described and defined in different ways, and one word that defined him was the word meek. Meek is a word that we don't often run to when we're trying to describe our heroes or when we're trying to long to be a certain way. Uh, we, we like a, a little more uh, on the edge, a little rough around the edge, a, little, a lot tougher word than meek, and yet even Christ was defined as meek, but Moses was defined as meek. Meek does not mean weak. Moses was a man of solid character, a man of truth, a man in control. Well, for the most part, there were a few occasions. In Numbers 12.3, it says this man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. That's Moses. It's just a snapshot. There are many more verses about him. There is much more you can know about him. There's much more that you do likely already know about him, much more that could be said, much more to study regarding the character of this man, his calling, his leadership skills. Moses was the ultimate Hebrew. He was the prophet. He was the redeemer of his people. He was the called out one. He was the deliverer. He was the chosen one of God. And history continues to remind us of the great influence of this man. Moses was a great man. But there is one greater than Moses. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying in this passage. In previous passages in the book of Hebrews, the writer points to the reality of Spiritual beings we know as angels, that the Bible defines as angels. We talked about that weeks ago. There is no discounting the existence of angels, nor is there discounting the strength of angels and the power that they have. There's a lot of confusion in our world today of the role of angels, but the Bible is not confused at all of these messengers of God, these warrior angels. They are God's servants. They are not humans. They are not former humans for all of those that get confused at funerals. People don't die and become angels. These are created beings, and they are godly. Not God, but godly. Not worthy of worship, because they're not God. And as the writer waxed eloquently about the position and personhood of Jesus Christ in previous chapters, he was very clear that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, had position over and above angels. Angels are subservient to Christ because Christ is not simply a man who woke up one day at age 30 realizing that he was more than just a man. See, there is a teaching out there that, that, that some churches have and even some who claim to know Christ believe that, that Jesus was fully human, which he was, but he was living in some kind of a cloud until the baptism, and at that point he realized he was the Son of God. That is not what the Bible reveals. He wasn't just living his life and then woke up and said, I think I'm God. That's not how that works. Christ is not simply the best man to ever live, though he is the best man to ever live. He is not just a humanitarian, a religious leader, a crowd gatherer, or any other phrase or label attributed to him. Jesus Christ was, he is, he always has been, he always will be God. Now that is, some go, well, yeah, duh. That's not a duh statement in a world 
where there is a pantheon of gods and goddesses that people have worshipped for centuries in a culture that devalues Christianity and especially evangelical Christianity and believes that these concepts that we speak of on a Sunday on the Lord's Day as we open the Word of God are little more than myths that have been attributed to different councils and groups who have come up with stories to keep control of people and to get their money. Jesus is who the Word says he is, for he is the Word. He is the Son of God. He is God the Son. He is the second person of the Trinity, fully human, fully God, not half and half. Now you're going, well, how does that work out? When you get to heaven, we'll ask him, but I'm telling you, it is fully clear in Scripture that he is God incarnate. Son of God, the only begotten Son of the Father, given by the Father for His great love for you and for me and all of humanity, for all of His image bearers. He is Son of God. He is Son of Man, a phrase He used to describe Himself in the Gospels. Fully human and self-limiting only for a season by His own desire and by the, His own choice for the glory of the Father. Christ is this and much more. And he's a bigger deal than angels. And as evidenced in the passage I just read in Hebrews 3, he is bigger, better, more holy, more righteous, more important than even the greatest Jew that ever lived and even the, more, the greatest human being that some would attest as they declared Moses to be. Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, from a Gentile perspective, that's just something you read over and you get to the next passage. But from a Jewish perspective, that's going to put the brakes on pretty quickly. It may not shake us right now. For most of us, that's like, well, we get that. But for the majority of us, except for just a few in the room who did not, most of us did not grow up in an Orthodox Jewish household. Some of you did, but most of us did not. So you're coming at it as I'm coming at it from a Gentile perspective where it's not as earth-shattering as it would be for others. And definitely not as earth-shattering as it is for the first century Jews. As the Hebrew believers heard this and they read this letter or had it read to them 2,000 years ago, it was declared in here that Christ is more. He is the ultimate and no one compares to him. Not even Moses. Therefore, brothers, as the author says, consider Jesus. Look back again at verse 1 and 2. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Now, the writer is not putting down Moses at any point, but he is clarifying positions. There are positions. There is a hierarchy here. And, and while even in Jesus' day, the disciples were scrambling to position themselves as more important, as more loved in the gathering of the 12. Maybe you remember this story. Maybe it wasn't necessarily the disciples or the 12 apostles themselves, but maybe it was, uh, maybe it was their moms doing this because that was happening. Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can my son sit at your right hand and my other sit at your left hand? Can we go ahead before the kingdom comes? This is the mother of James and John, right? Just, just kind of positioning his, they're her kids. As, uh, it's no different than any, any loving mama today who wants to get playing time for their kid on the Little League team. I mean, that's what's happening. 
who wants to make sure that, that they're not, their kid's not forgotten on the team, in the choir, in the band, in the orchestra, in the school, in the classroom. I'm just going to have a parent-teacher conference. I want to make sure you know about my kid. See, this positioning was taking place. Why has this happened? Because it's human nature. And humans, anybody here human? Okay, good. We like lists. We like we, uh, top ten lists. The best this and the best that. We rank things. I put things in order. I put them on a list. I give scores, if not out loud, at least in my mind at times. Restaurants, hey, we're going to go eat. We're going to pull up Yelp. Let's see, we're going to eat. Oh, that restaurant's got three stars, but it's got two ratings, and one of them's from the owner of the restaurant across the street. So I can't count that, all right? But we rate things. Going to go see a movie. Five stars. Then you leave it and you go, that was a lie. It wasn't five stars. Maybe it's five out of ten. Maybe you misread. We like to rate things. And sometimes people get these ratings. Any of you remember back, this is, this is a bit of ancient history, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my age here. Back in the day of MySpace, I'm talking to those old millennials now. Remember back in the day of MySpace, back, you know, of course, back when MySpace came out, churches were having a fit. Oh, MySpace, it's up the devil, this, that, and it seems like a, it, it's, it's hilarious now we think back. You know, if that was the worst we had to deal with, oh my goodness. Um, but MySpace had a deal on it called the Top 8. Man, look at all those 40-year-olds, 30-year-olds going, yeah, 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 I'm sorry. 30-year-olds, sorry, sorry, sorry. 40-year-olds are going, I don't know what you're talking about. The, the Top 8. It was a big deal to have the Top 8 because you would have your friends online and you could select your Top 8 friends, which is fine. Unless you're number nine. And now you're a former friend because you didn't make it to the top eight. And you unfriend each other. And, you know, I don't like you anymore. And it was just, it was an incredible social experiment, right? Because we rate things. So don't you think when the writer states here that Jesus' position over Moses, that said more than it can say to us. It was loudly stated to these Hebrew believers. And these were believers because they introduced them as brothers. They were called brothers. They believed in Christ. This is a connection to the prior chapters where it's declared that Jesus defeated and conquered death and sin. Thereby, Christ himself fulfilled his own calling, his destiny as the son to rule the world as God's vice regent. Yet, these brothers were questioning because when the dust settles, we think deeply. And when we think deeply, we come up with questions. And we have a what abouts and what ifs. And then we struggle with our faith. And we have our lost family members and our lost friends or our, 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 our friends and family who are, are not believers yet. They've not, they haven't surrendered their lives to Christ. So they're asking questions. And you're struggling with, with, with what? well, I haven't thought of that. I don't know about that. It just seems so simple. And so they're perhaps questioning maybe thinking deeply, perhaps they're even doubting a bit. I mean, they've already made a huge step to say yes to Christ and sacrifice so much. And then the writer tells them that Jesus is a bigger deal than angels and higher on the list. And that, 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 gets, that shakes them a bit. They go, yeah, wow, okay. And maybe they respond with, okay, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. 
But I get that. Okay, of course Jesus, he's bigger than angels. Yeah, okay, we're going to make sure we get that in order because there's a lot of supernatural talk in the first century world with the multiple gods and goddesses that are worshipped by others in spiritual understandings that are not necessarily true. But here's this declaration that there are angels. Okay, I get that. And that Jesus is over them. Okay, they go, okay, got that. Then the writer says, but by the way, not only is Jesus higher on the list than angels, he's higher on the list than Moses. And that to Christians who grew up as Jews, as Hebrews, going to synagogue and Sabbath school. What? That's a lot more shocking. Imagine for your entire life you've been taught that Moses was the ultimate Jew, the greatest Jew of all time, the redeemer of your people. You have been taught this, and you have not really been given permission to question that or believe otherwise. Not only that, but your parents were taught this too, and so were your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your extended family and your dead ancestors and every other faithful Jewish person in your friend group and family. Now think about this. It's not even a debated construct. Moses is the greatest Jew to ever live. Then this letter shows up and clearly states what you would not even think didn't even cross your mind but now it's been stated you got to question it and the concept is here in black and white you're reading it you're hearing it aloud Hebrews 3 3 for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself the greatness of Jesus on display He is this great builder. This is a vital reality. Moses and Jesus were not on the same level. The readers of this letter were in danger of allowing their attraction to Moses and the history of their upbringing and the revelation entrusted to him to be exalted more than that of Christ and the message of the gospel. See, here's what human nature does. We've already declared most everybody in here is human. I'll just make sure you're paying attention. We're all human. And human nature, we, don't, we, we idolize people. We have heroes. We have celebrities we put on pedestals. And celebrities come and go and crowds gather for a season. Ticket sales are up for a while. And then that same person, their ticket sales aren't quite as big as they used to be. Today, an individual will sell out a football stadium, but in five years, they're playing at the Clay County Fair. I mean, this is just a reality. Not a shot against those that play at the fair. But I'm telling you, if they could sell out 70,000 seats, they'd opt for that. It's just a reality. Celebrities come and go. Idols come and go. Ticket sales are up, then they're down. Moses, though, was no celebrity. Not in that sense. But he was highly revered. And he had been dead for years. And as is the danger with anyone who leaves such a lasting and vital legacy and such a good legacy as Moses, when he did so for the good of the people and the glory of God, there is a danger even among believers and faithful people to wrongly elevate the person. And it's not even Moses' fault. Now this is history, right? But doesn't it feel like history repeats itself? As Christians, we do this. We do this all the time. It happens. And here the positioning of authority is vital. Christ has been counted worthy of more glory than even Moses. The writer states, the Holy Spirit gives this to the people. Why? Because as God is stating through this writer, it is Jesus Christ who is akin to the builder of the house, while Moses is simply the house or a member of the household. 
It is a creator versus creation reality. It was John Calvin, I think, that said that the heart of man is an idol factory. We, don't, we can't help ourselves. We just keep creating idols. But the builder of the house is declared here to be greater. Therefore, our faith should be placed in the only one deserving of the honor. We say that God is a jealous God, and we have that first commandment that comes to have no other gods before him. And sometimes we just push that one aside, thinking, well, that's that Old Testament reality, and, and we're so far beyond that, that doesn't impact us anymore. But I would dare say that the first commandment of the Ten Commandments is the most often broken commandment by every human being on the planet. It may not be you have an idol sitting in your living room that you bow down to, but it may be you have one in the mirror in your bathroom. The builder of the house is greater. Thus, he is the one that we should place our honor upon. Moses was a faithful precursor to Christ. Moses was a servant in the house. A vital, needed, important, and faithful position, a high position, a position of authority and leadership that God called Moses to serve, a position of influence and inspiration for the family of God. That is the role of Moses. But Moses did not establish the people of God. Moses was not the originator of the family of God. Moses was a lowercase r redeemer and a small r rescuer, but he was not the uppercase redeemer and rescuer that Christ is. Moses was a deliverer, but he was not the deliverer. Moses was a prophet, but not the prophet. He was from the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, but he was not the priest. Numbers 12 reveals Moses' superiority of others as a distinctive and faithful servant of God. Moses had the great honor and privilege of seeing the Lord, which no one else could, but he was not the Lord. When the Hebrew author calls Moses a servant, which he does, that is not a demeaning statement, but an edifying statement. It edifies Moses in his position. This is an, an exalted title. Moses' superiority and greatness is not to be ignored. He is the standout prophet. He is the greatest leader in all of the Old Testament. He might be the goat of the Old Testament in modern vernacular. But he's not God. He's not Christ. He's not the Lord. He is not the one. He is not the way. He is not the truth. He is not the life. And let's just pause here and say, and neither is your favorite pastor, radio teacher, author, Christian celebrity, Christian singer, or non-Christian singer, author, celebrity, or influencer. They're just a broken, messed up, sinful human like you that just has a platform for some reason. Some for righteous reasons, some for unrighteous reasons. And they only have a platform because somebody's letting them have one. Be careful that you don't elevate creation to position of creator. Moses was God's faithful servant. But Moses lived his life looking forward to when God would speak a better word than the word he had given him. To when the father would speak a final word, which would come through his son. As John wrote in the first verse of the gospel that bears his name, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and that is Christ. But let's look back to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 as we close out this morning. It says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. 
But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. That little phrase there, if we hold fast. It can be a confusing statement. It can be a confusing statement for some here maybe struggling with their own faith. I don't doubt that there are some in the room who are doubting their own faith. They're wondering, am I really a Christian? Am I okay? There are probably many of you that go to bed afraid every night just wondering if you prayed it right. I mean, this is not an uncommon reality, especially in American evangelicalism. And Christianity is sometimes marketed as an event-oriented, pray a prayer, get right with God, and everything's cool. We sometimes shortchange the journey of faith that equals the new birth experience. So it can be quite confusing. I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm just saying you might be confused. So you look at this phrase, if we hold fast. It can be confusing, but not one that should cast doubt on our relationship with Christ. So today we speak to the redeemed, for the saved. These are Bible terms. They may not be in vogue today, but the Bible speaks of the redeemed. The Bible speaks of the saved, the the blood-bought children of God, those who have been grafted in, those who have been adopted into God's family, those who have all the rights and privileges of a child of God. Join heirs with Christ, children of God. That's not everybody, but that's those who have been redeemed. And for those, your faith is secure in Christ. This introduces a major theme in this book, and it is important today and for days to come. Here's a theme to hold on to. And this is going to kind of just kind of jump out, especially in the face of easy Christianity, which has been sold as can you repeat repeat a prayer and get wet with your clothes on, then you're a Christian. That, that is not Christianity, by the way. That is a great illustration of something that can happen, but it, it is not equal to Christian. What this book reveals to us is that only those who persevere in faith will be saved. And that all who have genuine faith will persevere. Let that sink in. Only those who persevere in faith will be saved, and all who have genuine faith will persevere. Our works do not save us. As as we know, the Scripture very clearly says we are not saved by our works, by doing good deeds. But we are also reminded in the book of James that a true Christian cannot live his or her life void of works. You kind of look at it, uh, all right, for all you CSX folks, so look at it this way. Your faith is the engine and your works are the caboose. And some people flip it. And it doesn't work that way. Now, don't get into the, well, you could push it. No, no, that's not, I don't want to, don't mess up my illustration. (laughs) Works neither save us nor keep us saved, but it is a big deal. Perseverance of the saints. Only those who persevere in faith will be saved, and all who have genuine faith will persevere. We must strongly hold to our confidence in Christ, as it says here, and boast continually 
and the hope we have in him. Now, some of you, like me, you grew up being told it is, it is a sin to be boastful. And yet here you are told it's okay. In this, in this respect. Your faith story, when you boast about your faith story, when you as parents are telling your kids about how you got saved, when you as grandparents are telling your grandchildren about your salvation moment, and if your story is all about what you did and how good you are, then you're missing the point because our boasting is not in what we did. Our boasting is in our hope that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. God the Son, Son of God. For no one deserves to be redeemed. But thanks be to God, we have our hope in him. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word and for the promise you've given us through scripture about our assurance of salvation through you, the perseverance of the saints. Help us, Lord, to not shortchange any of our friends, family, brothers, or sisters by selling or marketing a cheap grace. But also help us not to build walls that are so hard to get over that not even Moses could understand what it means to follow you. That is not our role at all. Holy Spirit, draw people to yourself as you have done for millennia. Draw people who need rescuing to the Father through the Son. And may the lost be saved. May the unredeemed be redeemed. May the confused find clarity. May the hopeless find hope. May they boast in that. Lord, what a great story your gospel is. A story of the undeserved being rescued. This is our song. This is your song. And we are so thankful for it. Bless us this morning for those in the room that need to respond today at the close of the service. God, give them the courage to speak to one of our pastors or leaders so that what is happening within their hearts and minds and spirit even now that you're stirring within them is not left un unresolved. Help us to help them. Give us guidance and wisdom in how we walk people through this journey. For the, for the believers in the room that need assurance, may today be a day of assurance that they can boast in the hope they have in you. For the unbelievers, may it be a day of salvation. And to God, we we offer this prayer to your glory and in the name of Jesus Christ.